In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bravo Docket. It is good to be back. It's been a while since we've recorded together, and it's always nice to be back. So today we are going to be talking about several divorce proceedings that have gone through courts in Georgia. And Georgia has some interesting procedures that aren't common throughout the country. So we're going to give a high level overview of what those are. And then, of course, dig into Kim and Croy's divorce proceedings. It's what kicked off our idea for this episode. We'll briefly touch on Sheree's, and then we'll talk about Eva's. In a second episode, we'll talk about Kenya and Drew Sedora's separate divorces. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I just wanted to mention our Miami Hochstein divorce episode. In the intro to that one, I talked quite a bit about family law and some of the unique issues that surround practicing family law as an attorney, and I encourage you to listen to that if you have some interest in family law in general. I also wanted to bring up kind of a bit of a macabre subject, but I think it's important to note that family law and divorce law can be dangerous for attorneys that practice. There was recently a very sad and unfortunate death of a well-known divorce attorney in Georgia. And you can Google this. We're not going to go into it here because we don't want to start off all sad, but just be careful out there. There's a great Above the Law article that was written by Joe Patrice in 2017 about divorce attorneys and the dangers of family law. And then there's also a law and crime article about the Georgia divorce attorney that got murdered that I talked about. And then there's a New York Post article about that as well. But there's a lot of family law attorneys that have safety measures in their office, like panic buttons. They keep a firearm in their office just because they're afraid of what can happen. There was a quote from the National Law Journal in 2011, and this is Texas Supreme Court Judge Deborah Lehrman, who spent more than 20 years as a family court judge. She said, quote, it says, there's a saying in criminal court, you have bad people at their best. In family law, you get good people at their worst. In criminal court, dangerous people are in handcuffs. In family court, you don't have any idea who is dangerous. And just be careful out there, guys. There's a lot of big feelings and you're getting people 
at the height of their emotions. No one's getting murdered in any of the cases that we're talking about, thank God. Yeah, so I think we wanted to kick off talking about Georgia divorce law background by reading from an email that we received from a member of our legal team named Delsa. She provided us with some background on this, and we are just so grateful for it because neither Angela nor I practice family law in Georgia. So this is very helpful. Do you want to read it and we'll popcorn? Yeah. So according to Delsa, Georgia is pretty unique in the Superior County of Fulton County. The county where the Kim and Croy action is, is the only one of its kind in Georgia. Fulton County has its own family division, which consists of four judges who hear nothing but domestic relations cases. Each has nearly 700. And as you can imagine, things do not move quickly. Georgia is also pretty antiquated. For instance, Georgia still provides for fault-based divorce. Most of the country did away with this years ago. And then more shocking, a party to a Georgia divorce action has a right to a jury trial. We posted about this on our Instagram, and I was I was pretty shocked thinking about that. And I didn't even realize that the state I practice in Texas also gives you a constitutional right to a jury trial in a civil case. I mean, I knew that part, but I didn't even think about how that includes divorce cases. Jury trials are pretty rare, but they do happen. She explains that conduct also matters in Georgia for purposes of equitable division. So if one partner commits adultery, it can have a huge impact on a party's position, especially if a substantial sum of marital money was dissipated on the paramours. (laughs) I like how that's worded. Yeah. In Georgia, a contested divorce is one in which the spouses cannot agree on one or more issues such as child custody, child support, alimony, or property division. In a contested divorce, the court will make decisions on these issues after hearing evidence from both sides. In order to file for a contested divorce in Georgia, one of the spouses must have been a resident of the state for at least six months. And I'm glad this is clarified because each of the petitions that we read through in preparation for this episode actually say, I've been living in Georgia for six months, and that's why you have jurisdiction over us. So makes sense. The spouse filing for divorce must also state the grounds for divorce, which can include adultery, cruelty, desertion, or irreconcilable differences. And then I was interested in this because I'm a trial attorney. I actually have a jury trial in a week and a half, but it's not a divorce jury trial. So it just kind of blows my mind to think of a divorce by jury trial. But over the past 10 years, Georgia state courts have made a number of significant rulings in divorce jury trials. In 2012, the Georgia Supreme Court ruled that a jury can award alimony in a divorce case, even if the spouse requesting alimony is at fault for the breakdown of the marriage. In 2016, the Georgia Court of Appeals ruled that a trial court cannot exclude evidence of adultery in a divorce case simply because the adultery occurred after the parties separated. And in 2018, the Georgia Court of Appeals ruled that a trial court can award attorney's fees to the prevailing party in a divorce case, even if the parties had not agreed to such an award in a preemptual agreement. That's pretty interesting, too. In the petitions I we read in preparation for this, they also ask for attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. So pretty interesting. So I was interested in the difference between fault and no-fault divorces, specifically in Georgia. It's just not my wheelhouse. So I know we've mentioned these terms before. A fault-based divorce occurs when one person accuses the other of causing the marriage to end. Georgia state law allows for 12 fault divorce grounds. In addition to domestic violence, other fault grounds include adultery, willful desertion for a period of one year, alcohol abuse, mental illness, and drug addiction. 
In order to file for a fault-based divorce, you have to submit evidence that supports the allegations that have led to the end of the marriage. Fault-based divorces provide the courts with evidence that should be considered when securing the well-being of either spouse and any children. No-fault divorces, on the other hand, occurs when a spouse believes that the marriage is over for no specified reasons. In most cases, they can simply say irreconcilable differences as a reason for the divorce. No-fault divorces let couples end their marriages quickly. It results in fewer conflicts and reduces the legal fees otherwise required in a fault-based divorce, which is logical, that makes sense. It can also give spouses the privacy they need to avoid making private matters public because you aren't publicly filing evidence that has any negative factors in it. Let's talk about Kim and Croy. (laughs) Were you surprised by this? That they got divorced? Yeah. I mean, they seem like a pretty good couple. I really am mostly familiar with Kim and Croy from The Real Housewives of Atlanta. I was never a fan enough of Kim to watch her show on its own. So I didn't really watch that. But I remember when they first met and they showed that on The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And I thought they were a cute couple and they seem to really like each other and be well suited for each other. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think it takes a special person to be in Kim's world because she is a unique character and he seemed to just fit into it very well. However, the streets were talking (laughs) about her gambling, supposed gambling addiction and the issues with the foreclosure of the home. So I think following that, like those rumors, it wasn't that surprising. She just seems like somebody that you would see in a casino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, With a red solo cup. She, she she seems like someone you would see in a casino. And I mean any casino, anywhere, like a riverboat yeah. casino. I could see her in a casino in the Ozarks. I think she would fit in very well there. Yep. So that makes <laughs> sense to me. All right. Who is Croy? I looked this up. I don't pay a lot of attention to football unless it's the Kansas City Chiefs. But Croy had a successful NFL career for eight years. He played for the Atlanta Falcons. In May 2010, Kim participated in a Dancing Stars of Atlanta charity event at which Croy met Kim Zolciak. Their meeting was shown on season three of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. They have Croy Jagger, who was born in 2011, And then they have a son, Cash Cade, that was born in 2012. In 2013, their twins, Kaya Rose and Kane Wren, were born. In March 2013, Croy filed to legally adopt Zolciak's daughters, Brielle and Ariana, from her previous relationships. And then when that adoption became final, those girls changed their last names to Bierman. I mean, honestly, Croy seems like a really nice guy, at least how he appeared on TV and in the things I've seen him in, but I've never met him. I don't know anything about him. So tell us about Kim. Before I tell you about Kim, it is interesting that when she had kids with Croy, she did the whole K first name thing. But then her daughters from the previous, before Croy were Brielle and Ariana. Oh, I actually know about that. So Croy's family has the K thing. Mm. So his brothers and sisters all start with K and his mom apparently found the name. She wanted a K name. And she would look through the phone book back a long time ago when we had those <laughs> and found the name Croy. I saw that. I read that on Wikipedia. So take it with a grain of salt, but that's what I read. My family did a similar thing with the name A. All of the Italian grandchildren have the first name start with A, which would result in our aunties, 
moms and grandma combining our names when they were trying to yell at us, usually like Ashley, Angela, Ashley, <laughs> Amangela, Angela, Amanda. My family all has C, like my mom's side, we're all the C-E sound yeah. or S-E sound. All right. So Kim was born in Pensacola, Florida to a military family and grew up in Windsor Locks, Connecticut. She appeared on The Real Housewives of Atlanta, October 2008, when she was 29, which I know there's a lot of speculation about her age. We're not going to talk about that in this episode. <laughs> was she really 29? We don't, we don't know. Between seasons four and five, her then fiance were the subject of a spinoff show, that's Croy, Don't Be Tardy for the Wedding, chronicling her wedding preparations. She left The Real Housewives in the middle of the fifth season, and Don't Be Tardy for the Wedding was later renamed to Don't Be Tardy. For those who don't know what Don't Be Tardy is, we have a whole episode on Don't Be Tardy. I think it was our second episode ever of the podcast where we talked about the lawsuit that she got involved in with Candy Burris. Very interesting lawsuit, so go back and listen to that if you have any interest in Don't Be Tardy. And Don't Be Tardy was canceled in 2020 and she returned to Real Housewives in its 10th season kind of like a friend of in February 2023 there were rumors that the couple's mansion was in foreclosure it was a property in Alpharetta Georgia and it was set to be auctioned off to the highest bidder it was actually going to go to auction Kim gave an interview and she said okay you guys my house had not sold for $257,000 She said, if you guys think I would let my home that we've put millions and millions of dollars into go for that much money, you're an idiot, okay? For real. The auction was later canceled by the law office of Brock and Scott PLLC, and I'm not sure why. I wasn't able to track down any reliable source for figuring that out, but I know that in a mortgage foreclosure auction, that that happens quite a bit, so in order to foreclose on a house, there's a lot of really technical things that the bank and the mortgage holder have to go through in order for it to be actually auctioned off. And there's a lot of remedies and things that the homeowner can do in order to prevent that from happening. So I'm assuming something like that happened. That's not uncommon for it to be set for auction, but then something intervening in the meantime prevents that from actually happening. All right. So they both filed petitions for divorce and it was actually on the same day on May 8th, 2023. But Croy beat her to the punch by a couple hours. He filed at 1.15 p.m. and she filed at 3.44 p.m. And I think we should review Kim's petition first and then we'll review Croy's. And it's already been pretty messy. So she said that she desires a total divorce from Croy on the grounds that the marriage is irretrievably broken with no hope of reconciliation. So what this means, according to the court, is that you no longer wish to be married. There is no hope you and the respondent can save the marriage. This is language for grounds in most cases, and it's a basis for granting a divorce that does not require you to prove fault. So it's a no-fault divorce, like we talked about earlier. The parties, this is again from her petition, the parties separated on or about April 30th, 2023, and since that date have continuously lived in a bona fide state of separation. The minor children currently reside with both parties at the marital residence and have resided with the parties since birth. Now we're going to get into the custody stuff, and Kim says she shows she is a loving 
fit and proper parent to have joint legal and primary physical custody of the party's minor children. She claims that Croy should have liberal visitation with the party's children. Do you want to talk about what physical versus legal custody is? Physical custody refers to the parent with whom the child lives. Legal custody refers to the parent who makes decisions about the child's school, health care, etc. Both types of custody can be held by one parent solely or shared by both parents jointly. Split custody occurs when parents with multiple children have sole or primary custody of different children, splitting up the siblings. Yeah, so Kim wants the kids to live primarily with her, but then they can both make important decisions jointly. Do you want to talk about how a court determines custody? And this is from a statute. Yeah, and this statute Georgia has cites the standard as the best interest of the child. And I believe almost all states have that standard. And it goes out of its way to say that, first of all, only a judge can decide issues of child custody, not a jury. Thank God. Can you imagine what that would put (laughs) children through if parents couldn't agree? That would be awful. And then it says, when deciding custody, the court applies the standard, like I said, the best interest of the child. And then there's a ton of factors that a judge may consider. Those include the bonding, emotional ties between the parent and the child, the ability of each parent to love and nurture the child, the parent's knowledge and familiarity with the child's needs, the ability of each parent to meet the child's needs for food, clothing, and basic care, and provide a stable home environment, the importance of continuity in a child's life. I think it's pretty well known that ripping a child out of their home that they've lived in their whole life and the school that they've gone to to move them around because their parents are divorcing can be extremely traumatic. And the court really is supposed to look at it not as in, okay, well, the the mom is automatically going to get everything and the dad isn't because he's a man and say, what's in the best interest of the child? And look at that as on an individual case by case basis. And there's a lot of other factors in here. So she, this is Kim, thinks that Croy should pay temporary and permanent child support pursuant to, there's a statute in Georgia that discusses that. She says that she is dependent upon Croy for support and maintenance and is entitled to receive temporary and permanent alimony for her support and maintenance. I like how that's worded. I need money from you to maintain myself. (laughs) (laughs) And some states have a sunset clause on alimony, and they say that they will only award alimony for 10 years. In some states, it's there's no limit on the amount of alimony that can be awarded. It's kind of interesting. So these are some factors that we got from our legal team member from Delsa. And it says the factors that are considered for alimony is like the standard of living established during the marriage, the duration of the marriage, the age and physical and emotional condition of each party, the financial resources of each party. Kind of common sense factors there, but wanted to refer to the statute. So Kim says that she and Croy are are co-owners of real property, and real property means actual land or a house, and that the real property was acquired during the party's marriage. Personal property is things like the stuff you put inside a house, the furniture and whatnot. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So she says that, to the best of her knowledge, respondent does not own any real property, meaning Croy does not own any real property outside of the marital home. And she says that they have acquired certain assets and debts during the marriage to which petitioner, meaning Kim, is entitled to an equitable portion. So she wants to split the debts and the assets equitably, which doesn't mean half and half, but... She wants an equitable split of that. I'm wondering if she also wants him to be responsible for some of her so-called gambling debts, if that's real. And then she says, petitioner desires any and all premarital assets, gifts, and inheritances of either party shall be retained and assigned to the party who is owed the asset or property before the marriage or receive the gift or inheritance in accordance with the laws of Georgia. And that's a pretty standard thing to put in any divorce petition. Yeah, like what was mine before we got married is mine. Yeah. She also wants her maiden name to be restored. And this is just like a little box you can click when you're filing a divorce petition. She wants to go back to Kimberly Marie Zolciak. So then here's when things start to get messy. On May 16, Kim filed a motion requesting that Croy submit to hair follicle testing because of his marijuana use. Do you want to read it? Yeah, I don't particularly care for this, but it says... Petitioner, meaning Kim, has seen respondents smoking marijuana, and she has serious concerns for the safety and well-being of the minor children while in respondent, meaning Croy's care. She is fearful that the children will be exposed to Croy's alleged drug use, and she requests a determination of Croy's current drug use by ordering, at Croy's expense, a five-panel hair follicle drug screen and for Croy to be ordered not to cut or remove any of his hair until at such time the screen is complete so that the court may determine custody in accordance with the Georgia statute. What do you think about this? It makes me uncomfortable for several reasons. I think if his marijuana use was such a big deal, it maybe should have come up before. Like, if she's really concerned about her children's well-being because he's smoking weed in front of them, get them out of there. I don't know. I also think she's been seen drinking heavily and driving. Thank you. On a show. <laughs> so. I felt like that was just personally, I just felt like that was kind of rich coming from Kim, who we've watched on TV drive around with a solo cup. I also don't think that marijuana is... It's not like she's saying Croy is doing meth or heroin or something. And in a lot of states, marijuana is legal. I think in a lot of circumstances, marijuana is safer than drinking. That's just my personal opinion. So it just seems like this is kind of a stretch for me. Well, I do want to add that I don't think any parent should be smoking weed in front of their child. So if, if that's happening, I agree that it's not okay. But I also don't think any parent should be smoking cigarettes in front of their child. And she was a prolific chain smoker. 
I think it's harmful to the child. I think marijuana does affect your mental state. So I'm not going to falter for, you know, on on the grounds that marijuana is not that bad, because I do think it is. It, it can be detrimental to your mental state, especially when you should be caring for a child. So I get it. I mean, just a personal anecdote. My parents had an extremely acrimonious custody dispute. It's actually part of the reason why I think I ended up going to law school because they were so diametrically opposed on everything, just lifestyle, religion, all of that. And the only thing that seemed to be able to control both sides was the law. And I think somehow when I was little growing up, that affected my brain in a way to where I was like, if I can learn the laws, then I can be in control of my own life. And I actually think that is part of (laughs) what made me become a lawyer. The law was the only thing that both sides had to obey when they were so acrimonious. And it's the reason why I was able to see my dad and that side of my family again after two years. But (laughs) I mean, my dad did smoke cigarettes in front of us. I think I'm fine, although I do have severe asthma now. So (laughs) to Ceci's point. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's a fair concern if he's actually smoking weed in front of the children. It's just, you know, he's going to throw something back at her. And he already has. I was going to say, like, Um, I just, yeah, it's kind of rich coming from Kim. It's not as if this is somebody that has a, I guess, straight-laced track record. (laughs) True. But I just want to, like, still blanket it. If it is a real concern of hers, she is within her rights to file this, even despite the fact that she's drinking alcohol and smoked cigarettes on TV. If he really is doing it, not okay. And should she be able to file something to that effect? And she did. So then she, on May 25th, 2023, filed a notice in her case showing that she completed a four-hour basic Navigating Family Change seminar online. There's nothing on the docket that ordered this. She, I think, voluntarily or maybe at the request of her counsel or someone advised her, hey, it would probably look good on your record if you completed this course. And it's put on by the Center for Navigating Family Change. And I went on their website because I was like, what is this? Why is she filing this? And it's a four-hour seminar for parents who are going through a divorce or separation Most of the time, a judge has ordered them to take this seminar or their attorney or someone else has recommended they take it voluntarily. Anyone can attend it, but those that have a court order are prioritized in taking it. So you learn things like the developmental needs of children with emphasis on fostering the child's emotional health during periods of stress. It's informative, supportive. This is their words, not mine. And directs people desiring additional information or help to appropriate resources. It's things like effects on the family, the grief process, how to navigate co-parenting. So it's sort of a course just to help people that are going through a divorce. And she filed it to let the court know, hey, I've taken this. Do you want to talk about Croy's petition? Yes. So like Ceci said, Croy beat Kim to the punch by a couple hours. And he also filed on the grounds that the marriage is irretrievably broken. Croy is seeking sole physical and legal custody of the children, whereas Kim is seeking sole physical but joint legal custody. They both also said in their petitions that while they weren't claiming a fault-based divorce, they both reserved the right to amend later and potentially make those claims. I think it will end up being a fault-based divorce given these filings. Yeah, I think it's going to get pretty messy, unfortunately. Croy shows that 
in his petition, Croy says that child support should be awarded on a temporary and permanent basis for the support of the minor children. And Croy says that he bought certain separate property to the marriage and seeks an award of that separate property that he brought into the marriage. He also wants an equitable division of certain debts and obligations that occurred during the marriage. Croy says that he should be awarded exclusive, temporary, and permanent use and possession of the marital residence. And he wants Kim, quote, restrained and enjoined from coming about the marital residence after she vacates, assuming that the court will award that. Yeah. His is definitely more restrictive than Kim's petition. Mm -hmm. So then Croy filed a motion against Kim on May 18th, 2023. So this is two days after her request for him to submit to drug testing for a psych evaluation. He says, quote, during the party's marriage, respondent, so Kim, presented very troubling behavior, which has accelerated in the months leading up to Croy's filing for divorce. She has acknowledged spending substantial time and marital funds on gambling and other games of chance. This compulsion has financially devastated the parties. Kim's time is so consumed with online gambling that she is unable to properly care for the children. As such, Croy is concerned for the children's safety and well-being, and then he lists what he thinks she should be evaluated for. He also attaches Exhibit A, which we are going to look at, and it has a ton of transactions to and from Coinbase, which Coinbase, according to their site, is a secure online platform for buying, selling, transferring, and storing cryptocurrency. And I don't have a lot of knowledge about cryptocurrency, but I have learned that some sports betting and gambling is done with cryptocurrency. So you transfer your money to get cryptocurrency and then can do online gambling that way. Let's look at Exhibit A. So there are tons of transactions. There's a lot of withdrawals, but then there's also a lot of deposits, which made me a little bit confused because, so you know, in your account statement at the very top, for the month, it says how much was withdrawn and then how much was deposited, and it gives you the totals of that. So this says that there were withdrawals totaling $127,176.23, but then deposits totaling $127,287.12, with a balance now of $760.37. So to me, that reads that they're pretty evened out despite all these transactions. Yeah, but the way I look at this is she's withdrawing the money to immediately gamble it and then she withdraws. So she put in the amount, but then gambled it all away. So she's pulling it in and then spending it immediately. Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's what that so, looks like to me. Yeah, so I guess had she not supposedly gambled it away or had these transactions to Coinbase, which we see the transactions to Coinbase, she would have over $100,000 in the account. Yeah. But instead only has $760. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This looks like somebody with a gambling addiction that's pulling a fund from other sources to pay into it. So yeah, this looks bad. It's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. How many lines would you say are in the withdrawal Oof. section? I was going to count, and I was like, 
Not today. There, here, we can do control F, Coinbase, and just see how many it pulls up. But there were also deposits from Coinbase, so it won't work. There's at least 135. If I So it says there's 262 total. So if we just say half of those are... Yeah. And this is in, what, 30 days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Okay, well, some fun deposits in there. There's Cameo. She made... $7,300 in one deposit. And then there's another one for 400 So I love seeing the cameo money. Ooh. In the deposit area, there are also entries that say daily cap of six fees, which I looked up, and that is auto overdraft protection. Yeah. Ugh, not good. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of returned item not charged, which would mean that there wasn't enough money in there. And then, yeah, there's a cap on the... F- yeah, that's bad. This is bad. Mm-hmm. Eat. Yeah. Well, on July 11th, 2023, they're going to have a hearing on their petitions for divorce. This is known as a 30-day status conference, even though it's technically longer than 30 days after they filed. These conferences typically occur 30 days after the filing of a divorce complaint. It's presided over a judicial officer and serves to ensure that the two parties are moving forward in the divorce. At this time, this is when they have to exchange their completed mandatory discovery questionnaires. And I found that questionnaire. So this is what they have to fill in before this hearing. It's things like their federal and state income tax returns, IRS forms, pay stubs, statements identifying the amount and source of all income received, evidence of self-employment, rental income. So just a financial rundown of what they are bringing into the divorce or what is going to be contested at the divorce, they better fill this out very carefully because we know there have been many issues with filling out financial documents in the past. Teresa, um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, one of the worst things you can do is, one, be dilatory in getting this information to your divorce lawyer. This is one of the things that Ceci and I have both talked about before, that the person to file for divorce has an advantage because they are mentally, emotionally, and legally prepared for what's about to happen. They've already provided this information to their divorce lawyer. They've already mentally put themselves in the mindset that they're getting divorced. And these are very detailed. And a lot of states have these where There's a form. The courts require them to be filled out. You have to have all the documents. If you are the one playing catch up, so you have divorce papers served on you and it's unexpected, this is one of the things that you're going to have to do. So not only are you dealing with a divorce, you're dealing with the tedious process of gathering all of these detailed financial documents. It's not fun. It's like feeling at a tax return times 10. And doing that while you're going through the breakup of your marriage. Not getting this information to your divorce attorney can have really detrimental effects on your case and can sometimes prevent you from getting what you should. And it's also just going to cost you more money because every time your divorce attorney calls you or writes you a letter to ask for this information, that costs money. So on Sheree, we don't have a lot to talk about on Sheree because that docket is old yeah (laughs) that is from like 2011 we couldn't access the documents but i think we wanted to address a comment that we received it kind of questioned whether we're real attorneys because according to the comment phaedra's representation of sheree on the show wasn't real and it was staged 
and they questioned our legitimacy as attorneys. We can confidently both say that we're licensed attorneys and you can find us at our respective state bars. And I just know that no judge would stage a fake hearing for TV. Like we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, there are only four judges that handle domestic-related hearings. One of them was the one that presided over Sheree's hearing against Bob Whitfield, and they are very busy. There's no way they just did this for fun and had a fake hearing for the purpose of a TV show. So I can confidently say that Phaedra represented her at that hearing. I remember those episodes of The Real Housewives of Atlanta, and Bob was horrible to deal with. And I also remember Phaedra wanting Sheree to take certain actions and do certain things, and Sheree didn't want to do it, and she didn't listen to the advice of Phaedra. And I'm not going to comment on Phaedra's capabilities as an attorney, but I will say, if you've practiced long enough, you have given a client advice, which they have refused to take, and it is sometimes frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, we don't typically address comments, but I think if it's one that is calling us stupid for believing something, it's... It kind of cuts to the core. So anyway, moving on, Eva Marcel filed for divorce from Michael Todd. Their wedding was aired on The Real Housewives of Atlanta. She filed for divorce March 23rd, 2023. She gave a statement and she said, this has been one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make, but sometimes life takes your journey in a direction you were not expecting. Our children remain our biggest priority, and the eight and a half years we have spent together will always be cherished. We ask that you respect our privacy at this time. I was surprised by this one. I actually thought they, I don't know them or anything, but they seem to have one of the healthier relationships that we saw for the brief period of time that she was on The Real Housewives of Atlanta. I don't think they showed a lot. They didn't show a lot, but they didn't show anything that looked negative, really. I mean, obviously, we don't know. But I wasn't really expecting, I was expecting Drew and Ralph, but I was not expecting this one necessarily. I actually hope she comes back to The Real Housewives of Atlanta. I really think she's interesting, and I liked her on the show. She was good on Girls Trip. Yeah, she's great on Girls Trip. So this is from Eva's petition. It says, Respondent and petitioner were married on or about October 7th, 2018, and are currently living in a bona fide state of separation. There are three minor children at issue, and she notes that one of them, though, is from a prior relationship, is still being treated as a child of the marriage. She says that she has shown the court that she is a fit and proper person to have legal and primary custody of the children, with final decision-making authority as to all issues and requests that same be granted to her on a temporary and permanent basis. So she wants full custody of the children. She requests child support and says the reason is the same as the other (laughs) Kim and Croy's. It's that the marriage is irretrievably broken and there are no prospects for reconciliation. She wants an equitable division of assets and debts. Then Michael filed an answer. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, it just says the children live with both of them and it's just an answer. So it's unclear if he's contesting her request for legal and primary custody, and we just don't know much about that yet. The answer was just filed in May of 2023. Like we said before, we'll be covering 
the other Atlanta divorces in a secondary episode. So that's Kenya Moore's from Mark Daly and then Drew Sedora's. Yeah, so let us know your questions about these things. You can find us on Instagram. We have our Bravo Docket email, bravodocket at gmail.com. On our Instagram and our bio, you have links to all of our other stuff. We have our website, our Amazon pages, and our Patreon. We do try to prioritize our patrons' questions. So join our Patreon, ask questions there. Thanks, legal team. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Bye. 